Genesis 13, I'm going to read the whole chapter this evening. So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abraham called in the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abraham's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the lands at that time. So Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zohar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. And we give thanks to God for his word. If there's any boys and girls here heading out to a seven o'clock club, you can do that now. And I'm going to invite Mark to come and preach for us. Good evening. Strange to be here in Rich Hill in the evening and to see that it's getting dark outside. Kind of forgot about those nights. When I first came to Rich Hill, it was May time and it was light. And then I came into the, the winter and then I was back into the light. But every time I think of an evening service here, I think of it being light. It's a bit odd to see it dark outside, but there we go. Uh, do turn with me to Genesis 13. Keep that open in front of you. I'm going to pray and then we'll look at this a little bit more closely. Let me pray. Lord God, we come into your holy and infallible word. And we pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, open our eyes, our hearts and minds to the truth of it. And would you draw us to the Lord Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Do you ever doubt the promises of God? Do you ever doubt the promises 
of God. Christians are described in lots of different ways, both in and outside of the Bible. But at the heart of the identity of a Christian is that a Christian is a person of faith. We turn to and surrender and trust in God by the power of his spirit and through the person of his son, the crucified, risen, and ascended Lord Jesus Christ. As we turn to God, God promises to bless us. It means that he will lavish goodness upon us in all kinds of different ways. As he loves us and saves us and leads us through all of life, in this life and into the life to come. So as we turn to God and receive him by faith, so we believe his promises by faith too. At the same time, we live in a broken world where things aren't quite as they ought to be. And as you navigate the circumstances of life, the world around you can encourage you to question and doubt God and question and doubt the very promises that he has made. I wonder if you're here this evening and you've begun to question and doubt the very promises of God. What happens if one day you do? This evening we're in the book of Genesis, which is a book that's all about beginnings. And as you would have seen last week, Genesis chapter 12 begins the story of what the Bible later calls the church, the formal gathering of God's people, his special people. And as chapter 12 tells us, the first few verses, God comes to Abraham and calls him to himself. And he promises to bless him. And through him make his name great and make a nation of him. And through him bless the families of the world as he takes him and leads him to another land. The promised land. The land of blessing. And as God calls him, Abraham is to respond in faith. And yet as you'll have seen last week, no sooner has God called him to follow him and trust him and turn to him by faith that Abraham's faith is put to the test. And this evening we turn to the second major test that Abraham faces. A test to his faith in the promises of God. Because as much as the Christian life is a life of faith, the Christian life is one of tests. After test, after test. So this evening we're going to see what is this test to Abraham's faith and the promises of God and how might it relate to us today. Back in chapter 12 we're told that at a time of famine, Abraham moved down to Egypt, which was away from the promises of God. Now we're told in chapter 13 verse 1, Abraham went up from Egypt. Now he's back on the move, back to the promised land. With him is his wife, who we know from chapters 11 and 12 is Sarai, and Lot, who we know to be his nephew. And so with his family, now he moves to the Negev, the heart of the promised land. But what's important for us this evening is what we're told in verse 2. Abraham was very rich. He was exceedingly wealthy. We're told that he had livestock. Chapter 12 tells us that was sheep and oxen 
and donkeys. We're also told that he was given silver and gold, all of which would have come from Egypt at a time of famine. Because even though Abraham moved away from the promises of God, God nevertheless blessed him. At this particular time in history, he blessed him materially as he continued to fulfill his promise of blessing his people, even when Abraham turned his back on God. We're also told about Lot. Notice verse 5. He was also rich. We're told that he had flocks and herds and tents. Again, because even though Abraham moved away from the promises of God, God nevertheless blessed Lot, his family. As God, through Abraham, would bless the families of the world. As God remained faithful to his promises, even when Abraham moved away from God. And it's within that context of blessing, of abundant blessing, again I said, this particular time, material blessing, that chapter 13 presents the test to Abraham's faith. Notice what it is in verse 6. Because as they come to the land, we're told the land could not support them both. In other words, these men had been so abundantly blessed that the land they were led to didn't seem to have enough pasture to sustain their animals, which would have meant giving them up or even facing losing them or losing out. And notice what we're told as the realization kicks in. There's strife, verse 7, between their herdsmen. The Canaanites and Perizzites dwell in the land, people who did not worship God. And so the the test that Abraham's faith now arises is will he continue to have faith in the promises of God even when it seems like many of the blessings that he has received of abundance to him and his family appear as if they're being brought to an end. As he now comes to a land that being parched or perched and having fighting and squabbling within it seems to threaten everything that he's been given. Will he continue to have faith in the promises of God? Back in the 1800s, there was a man who lived in Chicago who was regarded as very, very blessed. This man was happily married with five beautiful children, a very successful business. He had wealth in abundance and storage, and he was very involved in his local church. This man was blessed, and he knew that all of the blessings he had had been given to him by God. In a very short space of time, Many of the blessings he had received were brought to an end. His four-year-old son died. His business was lost in a fire. His money was lost in a financial collapse. And his four daughters were killed at sea. True story. And as this man lost so many of the blessings that he had been given, the question that he now faced, is would he continue to believe in the promises of God? That God would continue to bless him, however shape or form that may take. He'd continue to bless him as he loved him and saved him and led and guided him throughout all of his life. And this one and into the life to come. 
even when so many of the blessings he had been given were being brought to an end. That man's name was Horatio Spafford. You may have heard of him. A man who had so much, and yet so much is being taken away. Every single one of us this evening has been blessed by God. To be alive is to be blessed. And if you're a Christian this evening, you are abundantly blessed. Not only have you received all the good things that you have in life, but you've been saved. God, the maker of heaven and earth, loves you. He leads you and guides you and comforts you in all of life. And yet the reality for us this evening is every single one of us will go through moments and times in our lives when our faith in him is tested. And it seems like much of what God has given us, like health and wealth, like success, a good reputation, good relationships, are literally taken away. Or where you experience symptoms, or opposition at work, or there's a financial downturn, or one of your loved ones is given a diagnosis, and it seems like many of the blessings you've been given could be taken away. Or even thinking specifically of our faith. All of us will go through times in life where we're discouraged or tripped up by sin and we begin to wonder, does God really love us? Is he really there? Does he really care? And the spiritual blessings we were once so aware of, we begin to wonder, have they been taken away? And when we walk through those times in life, the question that's going to face us is will we continue to believe, to have faith in the promises of God? Even when it seems like much of what has been given seems to be taken away. Have you ever experienced that before? Have you ever had moments like that in your life? What happens if you do? Well, as this test of faith is presented, we're given two responses. One of Abraham and one of Lot. Notice Abraham's response. He turns to Lot in verse 8 and he says, Let there be no strife or conflict between us, for we are kinsmen. Or family, yes, related through blood, but more importantly, related by faith. We're Christians, he says. And then he says in verse 9, Is not the whole land before you? In other words, God has led us to a place of blessing. He's brought us to the promised land. So he's saying, go. Go right into the heart of that land, trusting that no matter how things might appear, no matter how things might seem as if many of the blessings we've been given are brought to an end, when there's not enough pasture for the animals we have, and there are people struggling and fighting, nevertheless continue to believe. And trust that wherever you go on that land, God will continue to bless. And he'll continue to remain faithful to the promises that he has made. And as Abraham faces the test, he turns and responds in faith, remarkable faith, in the promises of God. 
Notice how Lot responds. Verse 10, and Lot lifted up his eyes and saw. You know that's very similar language to Genesis 3 with Eve in the garden. What did she do? She saw with her eyes what was a delight to her as she was tempted to turn against God. And as Lot now is tempted to turn against God, notice what he saw. He saw the Jordan Valley. That's not in the heart of the promised land. And why he's attracted to it is because it's a land like Egypt, in the direction of Zoar, away from the presence of God. And yet notice that as he looks in the place that's antithetical to God, notice why he's drawn to it. It's like the garden of the Lord. It might be a place of opposition to God, but for as far as Lot's concerned, it's full of lots of little green shoots of what he thinks are blessings and the blessings that he needs. As Lot begins to move east, which is consistently in the Bible, away from the presence of God, right down to the place of Sodom and Gomorrah, a place where Ezekiel tells us is full of utter wickedness and opposition to the covenant Lord. For here as this test is presented, not only do we have Abraham who responds in faith, faith in the promises of God, that God will continue to bless, even when it seems like some of those blessings are brought to an end. And then we have Lot, who turns his back on God and takes things into his own hands and seeks blessing, what he thinks is blessing even when it takes him away from the presence of God. Every single one of us is blessed, but every single one of us will go through times in our lives when it seems as if or literally blessings are taken from us. I wonder how many of us respond like Abraham, Responding in faith, confidently knowing, confidently believing in the promises of God, no matter how things may appear to be. Or do we, are we more likely to respond like Lot? Turning our backs on God and taking matters into our own hands, looking for little green shoots of blessing elsewhere. Do you not find yourself? When, for example, material blessings that God has given us, like health and wealth and success and a good reputation and relationships are taken from us, do you not find yourself wandering away, looking for those particular things, even if they take us away from God? Did we not find ourselves, for example, in the height of the pandemic, very, very quick to stop gathering as the corporate people of God and his presence in order to preserve our health? Do we not find ourselves very quick to lie and cheat in order to hold on to our wealth? Do we not find ourselves spinning and manipulating the truth in order to make ourselves out to be better than what we are, to hold on to our own reputation? We find ourselves very, very quick, very quick to give up the pursuit of godliness in order to hold on to unhealthy, godless relationships 
God does not promise. He does not guarantee that he will materially bless his people throughout all of life. But sometimes he does. He can do. In fact, to be alive in any sense is to be materially blessed by God. But how often we find ourselves that when those particular things are taken, we pursue them rather than the God of the blessing. God certainly promises to bless us spiritually as his people. But do we not find at times that our salvation and our new life in Christ can feel far from us? We can feel distant from him? And what do we do? Are we not tempted to turn to something other than the Bible? Look for some so-called spiritual experience elsewhere? Reinterpret, redefine what the Bible says in order to give us some little kick? It's absolutely true. If you are a Christian, you cannot lose your salvation. God does not lose his people. But sometimes we feel like we've been lost. And as much as it's true that a Christian cannot lose their salvation, it's still true that God can withhold blessing from his people when they continue in habitual sin. And I wonder how often, rather than responding in faith, do we take matters into our own hands and look for what we think is a blessing away from his presence. For here is this test is presented to us. I wonder how many of us can say we respond like Abraham, placing our faith in the promises of God rather than not and walking away. How does God respond to them? Well, in verses 14 to the end, what God does as Abraham separates himself from Lot and continues to put his faith in God, what God does is he takes the blessings of chapter 12 and he expands them. Notice what he says. Verse 15. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring. What comes next? Forever. And not only will he give him offspring in verse, 12, in verse 16, but the offspring will be as the dust of the earth. For as Abraham responds in faith, God not only blesses him, but he blesses him eternally, immeasurably, in this life, and ultimately, the life to come. Look what happens to Lot. He disappears from the story as one who disappears from the blessing of God as he turns against him. Earlier I mentioned Horatio Spafford. When so much was taken away from Horatio Spafford, Horatio Spafford was a sincere Christian. Remarkable man. And in his moments of sorrow and grief, as he turned to God and held on to him by faith, crying out and crying out and sharing his emotion and spilling his feelings before him and even his convictions, all that he wrote, he turned into a song. And that is a song that you have sung here in Richfield Presbyterian Church. It's the song, of course, It Is Well With My Soul. 
A song that as he remained faithful to God, God not only blessed him in this life, in one sense you could say making his name great, as millions of Christians all over the world have held on to his words, as they too have walked through the sorrows of life. And as God certainly blessed him with an eternal blessing, as he now enters into his eternal, heavenly blessing and rest. You see, this old story of Abraham and this more recent story of Horatio Spafford, they're not given to trivialize pain. Nor are they given in any sense to romanticize it. But these stories are given to illustrate a truth. A truth that was true in Abraham's day, a truth that is true in Spafford's day, and a truth that is true today. And it says that when God's people continue to hold on to his promises by faith, God will bless them in whatever way, shape, or form that may be in this life. And certainly, eternally, in the life to come. As we come into Genesis 13, and we see the response of Abraham and Lot to this test of faith. And as we see Abraham's remarkable response, and in many ways hold him up as an example before us, as the book of Hebrews encourages us to do, we've got to be oh so careful. Because the hero of the story of Abraham in chapter 13 in the whole of the book of Genesis is not Abraham. It seems like it is, but it's not. Because back in chapter 12, it was God who came to Abraham and called him to himself, and blessed him. And even though Abraham seems to have strong faith here in chapter 13, the reality is that the reason why he has faith is because of what God did to him in chapter 12. He led him and guided him, and changed him, and shaped him, and molded him, so that he would respond by faith. And even though Abraham shows great faith here in chapter 13, the story of Abraham's life, is a story of inconsistent faith. Sometimes he's faithful, and sometimes he's not. A bit maybe like you, and a bit like me, in a Christian life. Because the story of Abraham is not a story of him. It's ultimately a story of God. A story of God coming to him, and calling him to himself, and giving him the faith to believe, and then leading him and guiding him through all of life, so that despite his inconsistency of faith, he may nevertheless continue to have faith so that he may receive the promises of God and through him the whole world might be blessed. And just as God comes to Abraham, so God would come himself to his very descendants in the form of his son, the Lord Jesus. And just as Abraham would show great faith here in chapter 13, the Lord Jesus would do what Abraham was unable to do throughout all of his life and remain faithful to the promises of God in the midst of every single test, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. So that as the Lord Jesus would die on the cross, he would die for the faithlessness of his people and rise again from the dead and rise to new life so that he, by his Spirit, may come through the preaching of his word and draw people like you and me to him, so that we may come to him 
and receive him by faith and through every single test in life, remain faithful to him right to the end and into eternity to come. And so as we read this story of Abraham this evening, and we hold him up as an example before us. We're holding him up as the book of Hebrews would want us to do. Not to see a man who had self-generated faith. But to see the example of someone in whose God worked. And God led and guided and shaped and molded. Which God made possible ultimately through the coming of his son. So as we too look to the example of Abraham, we may look to God and embrace him through his son, the Lord Jesus, by faith and stand in him so that in the midst of all the testings of life, we may be faithful to him forevermore. So this evening, if you're going through a period of testing or when that day comes, may you look to the Lord Jesus and hold him by faith and stand in his strength as he blesses you in the eternity to come. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening and we thank you that you're a God of blessing. And you bless your people in all kinds of ways with your greatest blessing of all, yourself, We thank you for salvation and we thank you that you're interested in every detail of life. And we pray that you would help us to embrace you, the Lord Jesus, by faith. And then standing in you, by the power of your spirit, may we stand firm amidst the trials and testings of life. Until the day we see you face to face. In Jesus' name. Amen.